We're heading back to the book of Revelation. We just started last week, so if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. And uh, I'm going to pray as we open our Bibles that the Lord would open our minds. That's what he has to say. So, Lord, we do pray that you'd open our minds and give us understanding that's beyond ourselves. And as you do that, Lord, we pray also by your Holy Spirit that you would open our hearts to cause the change that we can't cause in ourselves. Lord, that you would be doing a work and that you'd be tilling that soil and that you'd be planting the seed and that you'd be growing that which needs to grow and that you'd be bringing fruit that looks like Jesus and that you would be pleased and that you would be glorified and that we would worship you and you alone. And so Lord, I pray that you would guide my mind and my heart and my lips to speak only that which you would have me to say. And We pray this in Jesus' name. Last week we began the book of Revelation, and it's, it's one of those things where as you approach Revelation, as we spoke last week, it's really tough because there's all kinds of images, there's all types of descriptions going on, and sometimes it just kind of blows your mind as to what's being uh, described. And, and it says at the very beginning, here's your test right here, what is the book of Revelation about? It's the revelation of? Jesus Christ. You have to know that from the very beginning. If you get lost, if you're confused, if it seems too much, just always go back to that first phrase. The revelation of Jesus Christ. And just a quick grammatical note, it's not the revelations of Jesus Christ. A lot of people book, refer to it the book of revelations. It's just revelation. The revelation. It's just one revelation with many stories that compose. It's all about Jesus. And so it's not a big smattering to be confused about, but always just go back to Jesus. And one of the cool things is we get introduced to Jesus. We can see Jesus because John, as he's told to uh, do this thing, the angel takes him around, and he's given a command. He said, whatever you see, write it down. Whatever you see, write it down. And so there's times when John goes, and he, he looks, and he sees, and he writes it down. And there's one time he goes and looks, and he go, begins to go write it down. And the Lord says, don't write that. I don't want you to put that part in. You know, that's for later. And so that's what he does. He, he looks, and he sees. But we don't always get the commentary where John's like, what I think this means is we don't get that part. But as you look at the rest of Scripture and what the Lord describes about himself, you begin to get the understanding of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Um, there was this kindergarten teacher who had given the assignment to the kids to, to just draw something uh, that they loved. And so she comes around to this desk of this girl who's drawing this picture, and she can't quite make it out. She says, "Hun, what are you drawing a picture of? And she says, I'm drawing a picture of God. And the teacher says, well, nobody knows what God's look like. He, what he looks like. And without skipping a beat, the little girl says, well, they will in a minute. <laughs> and Revelations is great because John wrote it. He's drawing a picture for us of what he saw so we can see those things. We're trying to get to look at Jesus. So we're in Revelation chapter 1. We saw last week that those who read this word aloud and who hear this word are blessed, not just because they heard it, not just because they read it, but it says specifically that those who keep it then. And so as the Lord leads us, let us keep what's written in this book because the time is near. So we begin today in verse 4. It says this, John to the seven churches that are in Asia. So just to pause for a moment, John's kind of the messenger. He's the stenographer like you'd see in a courtroom where they're just taking notes. This note is going to be given. He's just recording what he sees and to begin to give it to seven churches to find them listed in chapters 2 and 3. We'll get to their individual churches later, but you have the church at Ephesus, the church at Smyrna, the church at Pergamum, the church at Thyatira, the church at Sardis, the church at Philadelphia, and the church at Laodicea. These are all located in what is current-day Turkey. 
which is all Muslim right now. So if you can imagine, these churches are, are where we imagine just a, a Muslim population, but they were a Christian people back then in these cities. And so this letter is going out to them through John. He's a stenographer. They're going to read it, the seven churches that are in Asia. And then it goes on and says, Grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the king's on earth. And so just like a lot of letters that go out in the New Testament, like Paul would write and say, it's to this church and I'm writing and grace to you. That's how Revelation begins, really. It's John writing to these seven churches. And then it says, Who's, who really this is from? Grace and peace to you from. And he goes on and describes who it's from. He says there at the beginning, the one who is and who was and who is to come throughout the scriptures. This is a description of God. It's it, not just a description of God the Father, but it's also used at times about Jesus Christ himself, the one who is, who was, who is to come. Jesus describes himself, we'll find later, as Alpha Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And altogether, that phrase, when it comes about, not only means that he's present in a timeline where he was, is, and is to come, he's forever, but also that he uses it in the sense of, there isn't a God like me. In the Old Testament, a lot of times he'd say, I'm the beginning and the end, and there is no other God. There, you won't come to a point where you say, my time has come to an end, and then there's going to be some other God who reigns. You can't go back in history and say, well, Jesus was here, but before him there was the myths of Zeus and some of those other gods. No, there was no other God. I am the beginning and the end. That's, I'm all that there is. Amen. I'm the one who is. I'm the one who was, and I'm the one who is to come. You don't have anyone else. And so there you have the description of God and the Father. And I think here we have a description of the triune God because it says then that he's also in this place where he sees the seven spirits that are before the throne of God. Uh, they're described later on in the book of Revelation as the eyes that are there that go out into the world. But we do have a description in the scriptures, both in Zechariah and in Isaiah, that lead us to believe that this isn't just seven individual spirits, but that it's actually a makeup comprising the Holy Spirit, that he has seven facets of himself that go about in these different ways. And so there in the throne room, you also have the Holy Spirit present. And then it goes on and talks about Jesus Christ, who's the faithful witness. He said while he was on earth, what I saw in heaven, I came down to reveal to you. I'm here to preach the gospel of the kingdom. I'm making known what's in heaven to you who are on earth. I'm the faithful witness. If you want to know what God's like, you've got to listen to me. Amen. He was the faithful witness. And then it says he was the firstborn from the dead because we know that he died. And then three days later, he rose again. Amen. He defeated death. And so he was the firstborn from the dead, the scriptures say. Amen. And then at the end there, it says that, he was not only that, but he's also the ruler of the kings of the earth, that he rules on high. He has all authority over everybody else. And so that picture right there is something that I want you, and I think God wants us to have with us as we go through this book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. You have God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son right there, and they're in a certain place. And it's this theme that's going to come up over and over and over again in Revelation, and it's this. We are getting a glimpse into the throne room. Amen. How many of you have been into the Oval Office? I haven't. How many of you have ever been to the Kremlin? I haven't. 
We could talk about any throne room in all the world. I was never in the throne room where Pharaoh sat. I wasn't, you know, I haven't been privileged to some of those things. But as we sit here and we get the description, the word of God and what John says literally translates us into that place of being able to see into the throne room of God. And we have descriptions of that throne room throughout the scriptures. And John right here is saying, here is the throne room. And here's what he needed to know about it. God is there. The Father, Son, the Holy Spirit as that triune God. And so fall in love with that throne. Because what he sets up for us in the book of Revelation and actually throughout all of scripture and also into your life is that he is tops. He is central. He has all authority and he is in charge. So if you don't like it, you're not going to like eternity. You better get to enjoy his authority right now. And I got to tell you, sometimes I don't enjoy his authority. Because that's the way you and I as human beings are. We came out of the womb rebelling against authority. Children don't only need to be taught how to disobey their parents. You know? We come out saying, I don't want somebody over me. I want to do my own thing. That's why Satan could go to Adam and Eve and say, God knows that if you eat this fruit, you'll become like him, like a God, knowing good and evil. And they said, well, let us eat the fruit that we might abandon God's authority and be our own king and queen, and we will do it ourselves. And that got us into trouble, and it's been trouble ever since. We don't want to be under that place of authority. But John says at the beginning, the revelation of Jesus Christ starts like this. God is the authority. It's his throne. It's his way or the highway to hell. That's it. And so that's how it starts. And I want you to have just that wonder of the throne room because it's an absolute glorious place. I want you to think for a moment, what would that throne room look like? And you can come up with all the fancy ideas of what's grand and just opulent and what's magnificent. And you can say, it's probably not enough. And I don't know if your idea of it was made out of chocolate and M&Ms and all those types of things or maybe sparkly diamonds. It's just, it's just not enough. John's going to try to put it into words, and it's just not enough to convey how awesome it is to be in the throne room of God and to look upon the one who has all supremacy and all power and all knowing and all charge over everything that's in all creation. It's awesome. It's awesome. And so we'll see that throne room throughout the book of Revelation. He goes on in the middle of verse 5 and says, to him who loves us, he's talking about Jesus now, to him who loves us, and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. It says there that one day, behold, look. There will be a day when Jesus will come back just as he promised in Acts chapter one, when he ascends into heaven. Do you remember what they said? The witnesses in white came down. They said, why are you looking to heaven? Why do you stand here, disciples, and just wait around? Why aren't you doing what he told you to do? Jesus is going to come back the exact same way that you saw him leave. He's going to come in the clouds. He's going to come as king. He left his king. He's going to come as king. He's going to come in the clouds. It says, behold, he's going to come in the clouds. And on that day, every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. You say, well, aren't they dead? Yes, but 
at the coming of Jesus, there will be a resurrection. The scripture makes clear that not only the righteous, but also the wicked, the dead and the under, will raise at that moment to be face judgment. That as Jesus comes, he will raise everybody for that last day of judgment. And so it says that every eye will see him. Everybody from every tribe will see him. And they'll look and it says this. that They will wail on account of him. Why would everybody wail on account of seeing Jesus? Isn't that a great day? This is why they wail. The nations, the tribes, the peoples wail because as Jesus comes up, suddenly there he is in all of his authority. The heavens rend open and Jesus come down. They say, all this rebellion against you, our claim to our own authority, we suddenly realize that we were wrong. And they will wail. They will see just the utter immensity of Jesus and say, we were in trouble. And they will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. Because Jesus is the greatest. He's the greatest. He's so great. It goes on and says this about Jesus in verse 8. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And the Alpha and the Omega was the Greek way of saying from A to Z. Alpha was the beginning of their alphabet. And Omega was the other end of their alphabet. So we would have A to Z. They say the Alpha and the Omega. You, there's nothing on this side of Jesus and there's nothing on that side of Jesus. He just contains it all. There's nothing more than Jesus. He is the greatest. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he's the one who was, who is, and who is to come. Amen. Jesus. Amen. And so as people see him coming, they'll see him, God, coming. And they will wail. And you know what I love? I love verse 5. Because on that day, many will wail. And I think all of us on account of our sin, we'll say, oh man, what a wretched person am I in the sight of a holy God. But I love verse 5 because it says there in the middle of verse 5, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. For those who are in Christ on that day, while you may say, oh my God, He is holy! And wail on account of your sinfulness before Him. It is a great thing on that day if you are in Christ because to Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood. See, there was nothing that you did after you came out of the womb and you were rebellious and you hated God's authority and you acted upon those things and you are a sinner, there was nothing that you did to save yourself. You had no idea. You were just going about the business of fulfilling your own passions and evil desires and walking in death. In Ephesians chapter 2 it says, you were dead in your trespasses. All you were trying to do was your own thing. You were dead in your sins. A lot of times when we talk about sins and we say, hey, do you have sin in your life? Which are the ones that pop into your mind first? The big ones, right? Oh, man, I got an addiction. Oh, man, I was I was so mean to this person. I mean, it was just pastor. If you only knew I get that a lot for people. If you only knew what I did. When you think about sin, you think of your biggest sins, right? Here's what I want. I want you in your mind. In your life, to think about the littlest sin. Think back. It might be in childhood. It may have been earlier this morning. What's the littlest sin you've ever done? 
I'll tell you one that always comes to my mind. When I was at daycare, when I was about five years old, all of us had individual cups that were set out for us a different color. I think mine was green or blue or I, I don't remember, probably Seahawk colors or something. But, you know, there was a, nobody could find a certain color cup. And so I was out playing in the backyard, and there on the other side of the fence was the cup. And so I went and told the babysitter, and she said, oh, that's great. I'll get it later. Don't worry about it. And I said, I can go get it. She said, don't, don't go get it. Don't jump over that fence. Don't go get it. Well, I love to help. It's just in me. So I go out in the backyard, we're playing, and there's that cup. I want to help. So I jump that fence, grab the cup, come back over. Hero, right? Everybody's like, he's got the cup. So the lady's daughter goes in and runs and says, Jason got the cup. She says, how did he get the cup? We jumped over the fence. So she calls me in, knowing the truth, because witnesses told the truth. And I, I come in, and she says, so you got the cup? I said, yeah, I got the cup. She said, how did you get the cup? I said, uh... I used like a long stick or hose. I don't know what I came up. I lied. I lied to my babysitter. It was a little lie. I mean, for being a hero, it was just a little lie. I mean, you weigh the cost, but man, my behind had to weigh the cost later. You know, I I got in trouble for a little, little lie. What's your smallest sin? Let me tell you something. That smallest sin would take you and rip you out of relationship with God and cast you into eternity in death. That one little sin, my lie to the babysitter was enough to take me out of eternity, an eternal life full of love and hope and joy, and to cast me into the flames of hell. That little sin. Why? Because that's how holy God is. He can't have anything sinful in his presence. So what's your sin? You think of that little sin, and that's enough to cause you to be a sinner who forever would be extracted from the presence of God. Now read that verse again. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sin, who has freed me from the sin of lying to my babysitter so that I was in trouble for all of eternity, walking in the death of my trespasses. People might think they're alive because they're living, breathing, eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner, going to concerts, looking on their computer, having a job, going hunting. We might think we're alive because we're walking around this earth, but we are walking in death if we are apart from Christ. In your little sin, you are dead apart from Him. But to Him who loves us and has freed us from our little but gigantic sinful heart against Him. He has freed us from our sin by His what? By His blood. By His blood. See, the Scriptures go into great detail about how you and I and all of humanity took this life and dropped it in the toilet. That's what we did when we claimed authority, and that's what we've done when we've done all of our sin. It's just taking life, and we don't want it, flush it in the toilet. But God, from the beginning, set out on a plan whereby He would send Jesus Christ, God Almighty, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning, the end, the who was and is and is to come, and He was translated into a body like yours and mine. He lived a life without sin, taught about the kingdom of God, and when He went and claimed, I am the Son of the Father, they said, you're committing blasphemy. And they took Him and stripped Him naked, beat Him in the face and in the gut. They whipped Him and scourged Him. They put a cross on his back and sent him up that hill 
And he died on a cross where they nailed his hands and his feet and they shoved a spear up his side so that he, he just bled out and he died and it says he breathed his last. Saying it's finished. That's the blood. To him who loves us enough to come down to this place we have messed up. To this heart that's been so dark and messed up. To him who loves us and has left that throne room just so magnificent and holy that around his throne are creatures and beings that are just even hard to understand. And they, as they look at him, all they can do is look at Jesus and say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Can't stop looking at him. So amazing. And he left that place and came to earth. And the scripture says, he took your little sin and my little sin and every big sin and your heart of rebellion and he put it on himself so that in the eyes of his father, he would be a curse and die in our place. To him who loves us and by his blood has freed you. That death on that cross meant that he could look at you and say, you are innocent, you are clean. And you were acceptable to what? Not wail. Not on that day to say, I'm about to be destroyed. But on that day to be able to stand in the presence of God because He's made you holy. To Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood. And it goes on and says this, and made us a kingdom priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. So not only have you been saved and set free from your sin, but now that you're a believer, if you are a believer, if you have faith and you've said, I, I confess my sin and he's come and he's, he's washed you clean and he's made you a new creature. You are put into his kingdom. He's made you a kingdom. You are a part of his authority. You live under him just as all the world does, but you now recognize it. And you're also a priest. You get to represent God on this earth. When you said that prayer and you said, Lord, forgive me, and He cleansed you and He filled you with His Holy Spirit, and you stood up from that moment, guess what you became? A representative of God. You're a living, walking testimony of the love of God, His blood, which has come and saved you. And so now you go to individuals, be it your kids, your spouse, your co-workers, your grandma, you go to all those people and you say, I'm a living, breathing, walking testimony that I was a sinner, but I'm saved by grace. I'm a priest and I do whatever Jesus tells me because I'm his. And so I'm here to represent Jesus to the world. That's your job. You're a priest and you get to serve him as priest. You get to serve in that throne room. You get to serve. You get to go and say, you know what? The, the life has just thrown me a bunch of crud. Man, God is good. And he's loved me so much that there's no way, even in this circumstance, I'd, could I turn away from him and say, I don't trust him. I don't love him. What is he thinking? No longer will I have your authority in my life, but I'll take it on my own. You, you take it back. No, you don't, you don't do that anymore. You're in his kingdom. You're his priest. And the way that you live is going to be a representative of Jesus to everybody that you know. You get to build up their faith. You get to help bring them to faith. You get to be the Lord's priests. Him who loves us and has freed us 
from our sins by His blood. He's made us a kingdom priest to His God and Father. To Him be the glory. And to Him the dominion forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. There will be no end to us saying to Him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Start today. Don't wait till the day He comes back and say, now I'll give Him glory. Now I'll give Him dominion. It's too late. Start today. Start not on a good day when you wake up and the coffee is perfect and the, and the biscuit you got is perfect and your boss is nice and your, 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 your wife dressed in you know, the favorite dress you like her to dress in. You, know, you have a good day. It's easy to say, yeah, my wife's beautiful. All glory and dominion to God. You know, it's easy to say it on a good day. What about the bad day? You know what? The Lord has the exact same glory and dominion. He's in charge. He's doing something there where you can't see it. This last week, early in the week, I think it was on the 3rd, I received a report from um, some family members of mine. I have three generations of missionaries that have been down in Mexico. And uh, in college, I had gone down there to do an internship for six weeks. And so I got to know the, the second generation, my cousin Paul, uh, pretty well. And uh, so, so he just kind of showed me what was going on and the mission work in, in uh, Mexico. But also, I lived with his family, so I got to know he and his wife and his four kids really well. And um, the eldest son, his name was John Edward. Everybody called him Johnny. And uh, he was about 11, 12 years old at the time. So he was just a little older than Elijah. And, um, and it actually reminds me a lot of Elijah. So got to know him. And, and uh, Johnny grew up, and he... Uh, followed in his dad's footsteps, becoming the third generation of, of missionaries uh, down in Mexico. So after college, he went down back to Mexico, near Mexico City. And uh, in the midst of his ministry, he had started a rock climbing ministry uh, where he would uh, scoop up kids who just needed somebody to love on them in the, in the youth group or just people who didn't know Jesus at all and say, hey, you want to go climbing? And in the midst of that relationship, have the opportunity to share Jesus with them uh, this last Tuesday, he went out climbing. I don't know who he was with. I don't know what it was about, but um, we received word that, that Johnny had fallen. Fell 100 feet. And the first email said, pray there's been an accident. Johnny's fallen. And eight minutes later, got the next email that said, Johnny had died. Here's Johnny doing the Lord's work, ministering to kids on the faces of rocks that the Lord had created, has a wife and three kids, a brand new baby. Why? Where's your authority now, Lord? Were you thinking through this, Jesus, when you sent Johnny to Mexico and just brought this new baby and then suddenly you put Johnny on the side of a rock and then he dies to his death? What's going on? All glory and dominion to you now? that throne room still sparkly enough up there for you? I mean, wouldn't that be easy to come back at God in those ways and say, you call yourself God? And I, you know, I wondered, how's the family going to react? And you know what? I was so thankful that my cousin Paul and his wife and his kids 
they became priests. Priests of God and priests of Jesus displaying His love and His forgiveness. Even in the midst of sorrow and tragedy, the words that would come from them and the messages that would come say, we don't understand, but He's God. And there was one particular message that I read from uh, his, his uh, sister who was just behind him, Rebecca. And I wanted to read for you uh, her message that came across. Oh, please tell me I remembered it. Well, I seem not to have slipped it in my Bible, but I want to read to you the passage that she, she had. Psalm 100, verse 5. I read it at the very beginning of, of church today. It says this. Now remember the situation. Her brother has just died off the face of a, a, a rock. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And His faithfulness to all generations. In the midst of tragedy, Rebecca could say, the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And His faithfulness to all generations, not just to her father Paul, and not just to her and her brother and her other brother and sister, but also to Johnny's children. His faithfulness is to all generations. How could she say that? And you know what? She summed it up in her thing. She said, you know what? That was true about God before Johnny went rock climbing. It was true on the day that Johnny went rock climbing and it will be true tomorrow and for all of eternity because God has always been good. He has always been in His steadfast love and He will be faithful to every generation. And you know what? I was so ministered to by a priestess in the Lord who was dealing with something so tragic and in that moment could say, in her strength of faith, I don't know the purpose and I'm grieving right now, but Glory be to God in all dominion is Him. I'll trust Him because He's always been good. And so I'm going to watch Him just be good. Even to Johnny's wife and his kids. I know a lot of you have got big situations. Are you there in your faith to be able to say that? The Lord is good today. Just as He was yesterday and He will be tomorrow. The Lord is in steadfast love today, just as He was yesterday and tomorrow. He'll be good to every generation, not just the generation before us, but the generation after us. He will be good. He will always be good. Is your faith at a place to say, yeah, that's true. That's true. Because what happens even in the midst of tragedy, those are the things that you're going to be going to the world and the people in your workplaces as a priest and say, you know what? This happened in my life. It's tough. But you know what? The Lord is good. And let me show you how He was so tender with me in the midst of that. He will be good to us. Today, if you recognize, hey, I don't want to be wailing on that day he comes back because I'm in sin and I'm not going to be saved. If, you, if you're not saved today, there's no better day to say, I want to be freed from my sins by his blood and I want to live forever. I don't want to live in tragedy forever. I don't want to be in sorrow forever. I don't, I don't want to just be caught up in everything that's going on in this life and say, oh, it's hard, it's sorrowful. Who are you, God? I want to know God. I want to know that my sin's taken away. I want to know what it is to live. Then let today be your day and be saved. Don't go another day. You say, well, I don't, I don't know how to do that. Here's how to do that. Remember, he's on the throne. He has all authority. Our problem is we've been saying, I don't want to submit. We say, Lord, 
I submit. I give up. I submit to you my life. I submit to you my sin. I submit to you my death. I submit to you my family. I submit to you my car. I submit to you my time. I just submit it all to you. You be my king. And I will be your servant. Please wash me clean. You pray that, then the Lord's done a work in your heart. And you're safe. And on that day when he comes in the clouds, which has been promised, you will stand there on that day as a priest dressed in white, ready to go and serve your Lord forever and ever. Amen. Today as we close, there's a song I want to sing. It's straight out of the passage that you've heard today. I want to teach it to you. You're welcome to join in, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask if the deacons would come and if they would stand here, almost as priests in this church, representing the Lord. And, and if anybody has a prayer uh, request they want to pray for, you can come and, and pray with the deacons. And um, they've been given as an as a opportunity to, to serve in this place. And so I'm going to call upon them as we sing. You're welcome to join with me in the song. I'll repeat it a few times. And if you don't want to sing, that's fine. But but would love for you to do this. Pray. Pray. Go to Jesus and just say, I submit to you now. I've been living in sin. I want to submit to you. I give it all to you. And just come to the Lord and seek his forgiveness. Do that today. Don't wait for the day that's coming. It's too late. Come to the Lord today, would you? Deacons, if you'd come forward. Feel free at any time in the song, if you'd like to come forward and pray, these men would love to pray with you. If you see somebody come forward and nobody's praying or uh, able to pray with them at that time, you come pray for them. You come be a priest and pray with somebody in the front. But just give yourself to the Lord at this time. Let's sing.
Our Lord, we come to you. We're so very thankful for what you've done. Leaving your throne room and coming down to this earth, which was good and beautiful and we've made so disgusting by our sin. We're thankful that by your love and by your blood, you've saved us from that sin, removing us from the kingdom of darkness and placing us into the kingdom of light, reserving for us that place in the midst of your throne where you've said we'll be seated with you. We will live with you. We will worship you. We will praise you. We will work for you. We will do anything that you tell us. That will be our life forever is life with you, good and pure and holy. And so, Father, we pray that you would forgive us in these moments for our sin. Our heart of rebellion, our huge sins, our little sins. We pray that you'd wash us clean and give us a heart that desires to serve you and a mind that wants to know you. And Lord, we pray that you would cause us to not wait to begin living life on the day of Jesus' return, but know that you have told us to live life now, that you have given us the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is now living inside of us, and we get to live in your power, we get to live in your might, we get to live in your love and your hope. We pray that we would live now. Help us, Lord as we are priests to one another and priests to this world representing Jesus Christ, that we would be Christians sharing the gospel wherever we go. We pray, Lord, for those things which are being brought to you at this moment that are burdens, those which are causing a heavy heart. We, Lord, we pray that you would come and we would, that, you, that you would lift those things off. Not that they might go away, but that you would carry them, that you would be our strength, that your steadfast love would be sure in our hearts and minds. And Lord, that we would take that message and we would, we would share it with the next generation, that we would encourage those who have gone before us. That we would all be being built up in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. We are so grateful. We pray that you continue to teach us. In Jesus' name, amen.